I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 27th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners every day to find out how they're adapting and coping to the crisis. And today, we're talking luxury and fashion. A bit later, we're with the founder of a fashion rental startup. I wanted to know if people are renting clothes in a pandemic and what the future of that corner of the fashion world might look like. But first up today is John Ayton. He's co-founder of Links of London and co-founder of Anushka Jewelry, along with his wife, the designer and entrepreneur Anushka Dukas. He's also formerly the chairman of Orlvart Brown and Bremont Watch Company, and he's invested in tons of other consumer brands. So basically, he's someone who knows a lot about luxury. John and I caught up to talk about the shifts in consumer demand in the luxury sector, and as ever, any opportunities and silver linings. It's been challenging. I think we've all thought that, you know, in many ways, luxury is going to change as a result of the last few weeks. And people are going to treasure things that are more lasting. They're going to want to buy things that uh, have a greater longevity. They're probably going to go and buy less. They're probably going to travel less. And we need to be more relevant and we need to speak to our clients in a different way to perhaps the way we have in the past. How's it been over the last few weeks since lockdown? And I say it's been challenging, but also stimulating. And of course, Anushka is present in China in a big way, and also Wuhan. I mean, you must have had a front row seat then to what would happen in the rest of the world in terms of lockdown and closing. We do have concessions in China. In a sense, we saw it coming. But I think like a lot of people, we thought this was a Chinese, maybe Far Eastern problem. And it came as some surprise as it hit uh, first Italy two weeks before it really hit the UK. And we were somewhat taken by surprise. I mean, we had traded through SARS in 2002. And at that time, we had stores in Hong Kong, but we'd never seen anything like this. Now, as well, you're in Hong Kong. And I know things are a bit uncertain right now in terms of reduced hours, what the landlords are saying, how the government is being essentially a bit slow and reacting, right? Well, I think the difference in Hong Kong has been that the shops have remained open through the COVID crisis. They haven't been closed down in the same way that they have been in the UK. And of course, business has dwindled to virtually zero. Many of the landlords are still hoping to charge rent and the situation has still not resolved itself. You know, most of the tenants have refused to pay and many of the landlords have refused to give any meaningful concession. So there is a state of stress there. What's interesting is that this COVID crisis has come on top of a lot of disruption due to the political protests that started last June. So it's been a pretty torrid 12 months for anyone retailing in Hong Kong. What are some of the big tectonic shifts in consumer demand? in the luxury world that you've seen? I mean, what do you think people will want to buy once this is all over, if it's different or the same as it is right now? Well, there's been a lot of commentary about fast fashion and the race to the bottom, whereby fashion brands have typically been introducing many, many seasons in every year, constant new product at ever more cheaper prices. And I think there's been a lot of commentary about the amount of product that goes into landfill and some of the harm that the fashion industry does by effectively overproducing. And I think this is also uh, the case in terms of retail itself. You know, we have too many stores and America in particular has too many stores. I suspect there will be a scaling back 
of fast fashion and I hope a focus on lasting product, more about style than fashion, longevity, product that could be mended or reinvented. I'm hoping that this crisis will accelerate these themes that we were seeing before. I know Anushka has talked uh, a lot about the growing propensity of our own jewellery industry to start ever plating things. So over the last few years, you know, people gold plating silver, you know, creating jewellery that isn't going to last, cannot be recycled and melted down and remade into other products and has no real legacy to it. It might look the same, but it's definitely not the same. And I think that you know, we will be focusing in our own business on classic pieces of jewellery that can be handed down, can be valued, can be kept, can be reinvented. I and mean, at the end of the day, they are a store of value. They can be melted down. They can be sold for bullion and they have an intrinsic value. I hope that people will feel the same way about fashion, you know, buy less, buy better. In terms of jewellery, do you think that the market and the demand will be bifurcated between the super wealthy who will possibly continue buying extremely expensive pieces of jewellery and, you know, the very low end where people will probably still buy, you know, 20, 30 pound necklaces, but that the middle bit is where it's getting squeezed because people may no longer be able to afford a 4,000 pound watch, for instance? I think you're right. I think it's the same in fashion. I think the middle ground is dangerous. I think that one of the bad things that is going to come out of this period is a greater inequality of wealth, where the rich are getting richer and the poorer are not getting any richer. I think you're right. I think the high end is is probably there to stay. But what worries me is that we have a very wasteful low end if we're not careful. Do you see any opportunities emerging out of this crisis for small independent brands? You know, I'm talking about, you know, the five person small jewelry company in East London or Berlin or even Hong Kong. Is it harder for them to get off the ground or maybe easier because there are more opportunities? Fine jewelry is a difficult one because the metal is very expensive. The stones are very expensive. And that's why it is tricky getting a jewellery business off the ground, being able to afford to work in the metals that they relate to. I think that more people will be buying online. And I think that uh, it's always been thought that fine jewellery was one of those things that was going to take longer to sell online purely because people like to weigh it in their hand and understand what they're buying before they... It's very personal, it very, touches the skin and so forth. I think that trend has accelerated over the last few weeks in a way one would never have thought possible. And people are willing to buy jewellery online. And I think that less people, frankly, are going to be looking to setting up shops. And of course, shops are a very, very expensive form of distribution. They're long-term liabilities. So I think for a company starting out in the jewellery business, I think the opportunity direct to consumer is probably greater than it was. Have you guys at Anishka, have you changed your long-term strategy more towards e-commerce? Or are you hopeful that, you know, 12 months from now, Liberty in London or Selfridges will be back to full capacity? Everybody will be shopping as they were, you know, a couple months ago. I mean, we do like shops and we do see that shops add something very special. The idea of being able to go into a premises and 
talk with a very knowledgeable expert and to try pieces of jewellery on and so forth, that will always be there and that will always be important. How many you need is a different situation. I mean, I think our stores should be destinations rather than something you sort of fall over in the high street. And I think that sense of rarity and specialness we will need to work on very carefully. I think the opportunities for online are greater than they were a few months ago. I think what we're learning is to engage better with the customer through social media, through our blog, on our website. And we've seen, you know, large increases in web traffic over the last two months relating to competitions we've been running, just a greater sense of engagement with the customer, sharing Anushka's experience of lockdown. It's been a very interesting and rewarding time from that point of view. What have you learned in the past couple months that might be useful for other entrepreneurs? What has struck me over the last few weeks is the very different circumstances of all our employees. You know, we're now contemplating the reopening of our stores, which uh, hopefully will take place the week of the 15th of June. We're doing various assessments of health and safety and so forth. And what's very clear to me is that of our teams, many are in different situations. Some have got children, some have to travel a long way, others have, you know, elderly parents. And it's very interesting. We're having to take into account all of these factors before we ask people to come back to work and which people come back to work. It's been an eye-opener for me and and humbling, actually, to understand where they are all coming from and understand their anxieties. So I think it's made us better people as managers of the business and much more understanding. I think the other thing that... um, it's taught me is that communication is absolutely critical. And every day since lockdown, we have what we call the Exco meeting at nine o'clock in the morning, attended by four or five of us, where we discuss what's happened over the previous 24 hours and what we're all doing over the next 24 hours. As a management group, we have become so much more effective as a result of this. And one of the vows that we've made is that we will continue to do this when we come out of lockdown. So no matter where we are, home or abroad, we will tune in at nine o'clock in the morning to have an update meeting and to just talk through. It could be something as practical as PPE for the staff on reopening, or it could be a big idea about how we're going to communicate a particular collection, or it could be a question about social media. It could be anything that the, the agenda is very fluid. And we found that enormously useful. And I think the other thing that we've really benefited from is Anushka and I dipping down deeper into the organization and understanding how our marketing operates and understanding how our social media is operating. So, you know, we're a pretty lean organization as it is, but as businesses grow, they do develop hierarchies. And it has given us the insight into what each of the people do within Anushka And to add to that, it's been enormously helpful and enormously revealing. I mean, I think we're all quite ready to come out of it. And I hope that the government are going to push forward on that as quickly as they are able. We definitely learned a lot from it. Next up, By Rotation is a peer-to-peer fashion rental app founded by Eshida Cabra-Davies. It's a sector that was gaining ground prior to the pandemic, but in a time when fashion sales are largely down, I wanted to know if fashion rental was experiencing a similar drop. 
and if it has any future. Here's Ashida. I think we were slightly worried that everyone would start thinking that, oh, peer-to-peer -peer fashion rental, oh, I'm renting from someone that I don't know, that I've never met before. What if they have the virus? But we were very quick, actually, probably even a week before Depop, which is one of the companies we completely admire. We were very quick to give our instructions to our community. So we sent out a newsletter, I think it was on 13th of March, letting people know what exactly our guidance is with COVID-19. And obviously what we had seen is that, you know, there, there was no sort of formal kind of evidence that it was being left on soft surfaces for more than, I think, two days it was. So we did guide anyone that, you know, while we wouldn't really, you know, say that you should meet up in person to exchange any things that you're rotating. And we would recommend that you leave any parcels or packages that you would get from any existing rentals being returned to be left outside your house for a couple of days. I think we managed that pretty well. I do agree, you know, there is a lack of rental happening at the moment because there's not really much to do. We have had a few people actually rent for their birthdays and special announcements that they're making on social media. So we had Camilla Thurlow, another well-known British celebrity, announcing her pregnancy in a dress that she rented via the app, which was fantastic again for us. Are you bullish about the fashion rental sector in general post-pandemic? I mean, do you think people might not want to buy fashion anymore because of the price or whatever, but they might want to rent it? Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously partial, but I am very bullish about the fashion rental sector. There is a lot of education that still needs to be done on why it's better not to consume anymore and rather share that what we already have. And, you know, I, th I think this will kind of, you know, raise a few questions again about the hygiene and the cleanliness of sharing something with each other. But I do think if it's done the right way, you know, if we're communicating very clearly as to how to exchange items, how to clean items, I think that can be managed pretty well. And there has obviously been an interest in consuming less because of the pandemic. You know, a lot of people have been at home rethinking what they have at home, how they consume, you know, food, fashion, anything. And, you know, they've been doing a lot of wardrobe detoxes. There was a lot of uh, Marie Kondo going on in the beginning. So I think people have become a bit more inwards during this time and probably kind of realize that they own too much and there's really not that much need for it anymore. So I do like to think and I do really believe that people are going to think of fashion rental as not just, you know, something for a ball or like, you know, a, a huge event. I imagine there will be a lot of pent up demand and that people are probably sick of sweatpants at some point. Yeah, uh, we were actually just having a team meeting before uh, recording this podcast and we were talking about how, you know, there's been quite a lot of memes, I suppose, during this, this time where we've all been locked up at home. People talking about all the outfits and the clothes and the bags that they wish they wore and they took out with them. So we do think people are going to go all out the next events that they're able to meet their friends and meet up with. We really think people are really going to go for it. And I've been hearing things from my team who are all freelancers and have other clients. I've been hearing about how the other clients who are selling items, they've actually been seeing quite a bit of the mid and high end areas performing pretty well. What are some of the biggest challenges you faced in running the company in the past few months? Well, the biggest challenges I've personally felt is obviously fashion rental is not that big in the UK. You know, when you think about fashion rental, the name that comes to everyone's mind is Rent the Runway. So when we tell people about our concept, they think, oh, yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about, fashion rental. 
and then we try and explain that there's no inventory this is completely digital you know it's an app and you know it's it's a web-based platform where you know you can kind of rent from each other so they find it kind of you know interesting they're not very sure that it'll actually work but i think we've really shown that we found lenders and renters on both sides and you know there are a few user personas that we've seen with everyone but i think the way that we believe this will really work is by forming a community so again, you know, very much like how Depop has done it. You know, we're hugely inspired by this company. We do believe that once there's education for how rental is not just about accessing designer fashion for cheaper prices, but it actually goes beyond much more than that, we will actually end up sort of having much more traction in the UK and Europe even for this. Do you think fashion rental will bifurcate into, you know, just evening wear rental, jewelry rental, dress rental? I think that's an interesting question. In the earlier days, you know, uh, I was advised by a few people who, again, you know, probably don't have experienced themselves in the sector about how, you know, why don't you focus on a niche like maybe ethnic wear rental, you know, because that is actually a real thing, as you've rightly pointed out, you know, evening wear rental or jewelry rental. But I do believe that this is really trying to change customers' perceptions about how rental is not just for a special occasion. It can be really much about you owning a capsule wardrobe and renting all the rest. So whether it's a statement bag or whether, you know, it's, it's this dress that you've been, I don't know, seeing all over social media that you just want to try out and see if it's for you, but you don't really want to own it. And I think that's really where we differentiate ourselves to any of the, um, you know, you know, the existing stores that you see on high streets where you can hire dresses for someone's wedding or something. We're really trying to make this and everyday kind of um, habit. And what about investment? Are you guys running on VC or angels or personal savings? In terms of the funding side of things, as I mentioned, I actually founded this as a side hustle in April 2019, so just last year. And we launched the actual app the same day that I left my career in finance. And that was in October. So we're about eight and a half months old and we're completely self-funded. And that's been by choice. I've just been kind of protective and ensuring that the next few people that we get on board in terms of investing are people who bring more than just cash flow. So, um, you know, people who either have expertise or skill sets or networks that can really add value to buy rotation and take it to the next level. So, yeah, I I call them the ones. And that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, I'd love if you could subscribe, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And also sign up to Courier Weekly, our email newsletter, for more stories of adapting and growing. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily is back again on Thursday.